You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here. Man, I'm so grateful uh, to be standing up here this morning, opening up God's Word with y'all. Grateful to Pastor Josh for sharing this platform with me. I'm especially grateful to God uh, for His grace because, man, I need it. Uh, every, uh, I was just telling first service, you know, every time before I preach, I'm, I stand over there to the side of the stage. I'm just like, God, are you sure you want me to, you know, to get up there and do this? You know, I'm just a, a broken sinner like everyone else in this room. And, and there's nothing I can say that will do anyone any good uh, today. Uh, but God, does have stuff to say to you today that can radically change your life. I don't, but but he does. And I've just been praying like that, that God, would you just use me as your mouthpiece this morning uh, to say whatever you want to say uh, today? Well, today I get to start a brand new series where we're going to be uh, taking a few weeks and reading through and learning from a book of the Bible called James. And I was trying to think of a way to describe the book of James to those of you in here who maybe have never read it before. And I thought about this. Uh, so there is a certain word that you absolutely should never say to a parent of young children. I know at least this is a, a very triggering word for me personally. It stirs up a lot of pain, a lot of hatred in my heart. Uh, and that word is cocoa melon. Uh, anybody know what cocoa melon is? Raise your hand. A few of you guys. I'm with you. Uh, for those of you in here that don't know, or lucky enough to not know, uh, Coco Melon is this basically a TV show for toddlers, uh, and, and it puts kids into this magical, hypnotic trance. It's actually kind of scary. Uh, like my two-year-old can be having just an absolute meltdown, losing her mind, and I'll turn Coco Melon on, and, and it's just like, oh, you know, starts drooling and everything. And I hate Coco Melon. It's this creepy-looking family sings these creepy songs. I can't stand it. But here's the thing. It brings relief to my house for a few minutes, you know? So I put up with it. It brings peace and calm to my life for a minute. So it's hard to listen to. It's painful to listen to, but man, it's so worth it because of the benefits that it brings to my life. That's kind of what the book of James is like. I just want to warn y'all right up front, this is not an easy book of the Bible, but it's going to really, really, really help us Monday through Saturday if you listen to and apply what it says to your life. Because if you suffer through the hard truth and the bluntness of James, it will be worth it. And I promise promise it will radically change your life for the better. Um, so let's get into this. James 1, uh, verse 1, the first part of verse 1 anyway, says this. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So anytime that you are reading a new book of the Bible, you want to try to find out three things if you can. You want to know who is the quarterback, who is the receiver, and who is the defense. In other words, anytime you're reading the book of the Bible, you want to try to find out who is the original author of the book, who is originally throwing out the words. And then you want to try to find out who the original audience was, who's the receiver, who's receiving the words. And it's also really helpful if you know what's going on in their lives. Uh, what is the what is there a problem or a situation or some sort of adversity that the audience is facing? That's the defense. So First of all, who is the quarterback? Who is the author of the book of James? The author of the book of James that we're going to be in for this series is actually a guy named Jacob. Uh, his Hebrew name is Yaakov, which translates into the English name Jacob, but somehow our English Bibles uh, translate his name to James. Most people think that when uh, the first English translation of the Bible was authorized by a guy named King James, King James wanted to see his name in the English Bible, and so he said, hey, Yaakov sounds enough like uh, James. Let's, let's do James instead of 
Jacob. Who knows if that's true or not, but we do know that the guy who wrote this book that we're reading from uh, in this series would have grown up being called Jacob. That was his name. But for the sake of avoiding confusion, we're going to continue to call him James in this series. Uh, What else do we know about the quarterback, the author? Uh, Well, we know that this guy, James, a pretty big piece of information here. This guy, James, was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Uh, So you probably heard the Christmas story, right? The You know, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, she miraculously conceived Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was born of a virgin. But after Jesus was born, Mary and Jesus' stepdad, Joseph, went on to have a bunch more kids. The Bible tells us that Jesus had at least six siblings. Uh, He had at least two sisters, and he had at least four brothers. And one of those brothers was James. So James was the half-brother of Jesus. So that means that the author of this book that we're reading from and learning from uh, in this series uh, grew up with Jesus Christ. He shared a, a bedroom with Jesus. James and Jesus probably shared a bed together. They, they grew up playing hide and seek and tag and I spy together. Other than Jude, who was also a brother of Jesus and who also wrote a book of the Bible, James knew Jesus on a deeper and more personal level than any other author in scripture. But here's a really interesting thing. Uh, James did not believe that his brother Jesus was who he said he was. James did not believe that his brother Jesus was God. Uh, So if you don't know, when Jesus was roughly 30 years old, uh, he started doing miracles. He started going around calling himself God. He started telling people that he was sent to earth uh, to save people from their sins, essentially. And his little brother James just wasn't buying it. Listen to what uh, Jesus' brothers said to Jesus once in a story from John chapter 7. It says this, And Jesus' brother said to him, Jesus, leave here and go to Judea, where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. In other words, go to the big city uh, where people can see your little magic tricks, Jesus, because we all know that's why you're doing this. You just want to get famous. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. Just really making fun of Jesus here. For even his brothers did not believe in him. James didn't believe in Jesus. Uh, James made fun of Jesus. James thought his brother was cuckoo. And if you could go back in, in time and you could talk to James uh, back then, he would say, yeah, my my uh, big brother Jesus was always a good kid. He was kind of a goody-goody two-shoes. He never really got into trouble. All the teachers in school would tell me, hey, why can't you be a little more like your big brother Jesus, right? But he's not God. I mean, come on, that's that's crazy. Yeah, my mom told me the story, the whole, you know, virgin birth thing. I never believed it. I think my mom is just covering up some uh, mistakes she made as a teenager. At least that's what everybody else in my town says about my mom. But my brother Jesus is not God. That's what James thought. And I mean, you you really can't blame him. I mean, you got to put yourself in James's shoes. Uh, does anyone in here have a brother or sister? Raise your hand, brother or sister. Okay. Uh, what would you do if your brother or sister said, hey, sis, hey, bro, I'm God. You know what I mean? What would you think? Uh, what what would be your reaction? Uh, what would you think if your uh, siblings started going around telling people that they were here to die for the sins of the uh, world? You probably wouldn't believe them. You probably wouldn't, to say the least. I've got two little brothers, y'all, and I have seen them chase each other around the front yard, butt naked with used toilet plungers. Those guys are not God, okay? James didn't believe that his brother was God. But if you fast forward a little bit, you see he's writing a book of the Bible now. So what what in the world happened? And what did we just read? James said, I am a slave to the Lord 
Jesus Christ, using the full title for Jesus. So we fast forward and James is saying, my big brother Jesus is the Lord. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the second person of the Holy Trinity. He is the one who everything was made for and everything was made through. In the beginning, when God said, let us make mankind in our image, this is the other person that God was talking to. Jesus, he is God and I am his slave. That's what James is saying. So what happened? Man? How, did, how did James go from skeptic of his brother to slave of his brother? Here's what happened. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 3 through 7. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter. And then by the 12, so after Jesus uh, died and uh, was buried and was resurrected, uh, he was seen by his 12 best buddies first. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, uh, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. And then verse 7, then he was seen by James. That's what changed. That's what changed. James was probably at the crucifixion uh, when his brother Jesus was murdered on the cross for our sins, probably. James probably saw Jesus die this horribly brutal death on the cross. So there was no doubt in James's mind that his brother Jesus was dead. Uh, James was probably like, dang, my brother is dead. And I hate that. I did love him, but he was nuts. And he kind of brought this on himself. James saw Jesus dead, but then James saw Jesus alive and perfectly well again a few days later. And at that moment, James is like, oh, wow, my brother Jesus really is God. Oh, wow, that story that mom always told us about getting pregnant as a virgin and everything the angels said to her and all that, that really was true. Uh, and come to think of it, I don't really ever remember Jesus ever actually sinning. Like it all adds up now. It's all making sense now. And James goes from skeptic of Jesus to slave of Jesus, thanks to the resurrection of Jesus. And to me, that's one of the most convincing pieces of evidence in the entire Bible that Jesus really did die and he really did raise again to life. And he really is alive today and that we really are worshiping a real God. So that's who James was. That's who the author is. That's who the quarterback uh, is. But who's the receiver? Who's the original audience? Who are the people that James is writing to in this letter? Uh, well, let's read the second part of verse one. Uh, James says this, I am writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad uh, greetings. So here's what happened. Uh, Jesus has died. He rose again to life. Hundreds of people see him alive again, including James. And then he ascended back into heaven where he is alive today. And after that, the church starts. The church of Jesus Christ starts and it's growing like crazy. And it's all Jews at first. It's all Jewish Christians. Uh, th these are the 12 tribes that James is talking about. That's who the receiver was. That's who the original audience of this letter is. Jewish Christians, the very first group of Christians ever. That's who the original audience is. That's who the receiver is. But who's the defense? In other words, what's going on in the lives of these uh, first Christians at the time? James wrote this letter. Uh, was there a problem or some sort of adversity that the audience was facing that we're aware of? Uh, the answer is yes, there was. We just read that they were scattered abroad. That's what James says. He's writing to the Jewish Christians scattered abroad. So here's what was going on. The church of Jesus Christ growing like crazy, right? But then these first Christians started facing serious persecution and hate for their faith. Christians started being arrested and killed by the same religious people who hated Jesus and killed Jesus. The killing started with a Christian named Stephen, who you may have read about in the book of Acts. And then Christians started being arrested and beaten and probably even killed by a guy named Saul, who would later meet Jesus and change his name to 
to Paul. You probably heard that name if you've been in church for a while. And so these first Christians had to leave their home. They had to scatter abroad because they were essentially being hunted down uh, for believing in Jesus. So James is writing to the very first group of Christians who have, have had to leave their homes, who are being hunted down, who are being arrested, who are being torn from their families, and who are even, some of them, being murdered in cold blood. They are facing hard, hard times. They are facing troubles and suffering like they have never faced before in their entire lives. That's the defense. That's the adversity that the audience is facing. And that is why we're going to see that James starts his letter to these Christians by talking about hard times, but troubles and hard times, and how to handle these hard times. And so that's what we're going to talk about for the rest of this morning and as we get into the first little chunk of the book of James. This morning, we're going to talk about troubles. We're going to talk about hard times. We're going to talk about suffering and pain. And, and we're going to talk about how Christians should respond to that kind of stuff. This morning, we're going to talk about this. What to do when things go wrong. What to do when things go wrong. If I was given this message a title, this would be the title. I'm sorry, I couldn't think of a catchier way to say that. But that's what we're going to be talking about today. What to do when things go wrong wrong. Uh, so when I have something minor uh, in my life go wrong, and I don't know how to fix it. I usually go to this little app on my phone called YouTube. Uh, YouTube is amazing. I don't know what people did uh, before YouTube. There's a video on YouTube for all sorts of problems, all sorts of minor problems that you may face in life. YouTube will show you how to fix a busted pipe. It'll show you how to install a dishwasher. It'll show you how to change a flat tire. The other day, I saw a video pop up on YouTube that said how to do the Heimlich maneuver. So it'll teach you how to, how to save someone's life if you're at a restaurant and someone next you is choking the death. You just got to pull up YouTube. Now I did start thinking it'd be kind of awkward if someone was choking the death and you go to pull up the video and you have to watch like a one minute rocket mortgage ad before you can save the guy's life. But that would be bad. But anyway, my point is James may not be uh, telling us how to handle the minor problems in our life, but James is like the YouTube for the major problems that we may face in our life. He can tell you how to handle the major problems. James may not tell you how to change a flat tire or how to do the Heimlich like YouTube can, but James can tell you how to handle losing your job when you've got a family who relies on you and your income. And James can tell you how to handle losing somebody that you love. James can tell you how to handle getting diagnosed with something like cancer. James can tell you how to handle not being physically able to have children even though you've always wanted to be a mom. James can tell you how to handle having a child with special needs and being told that you're going to be changing diapers and spoon feeding your kid for the rest of your life. James can tell you how to handle having a son or a daughter who's a drug addict. James can tell you how to handle being neglected by your father or never being shown love by your mother. James can tell you what to do if you've been forced from your home and are being hunted down and arrested and killed just for following Jesus. James can tell you how to handle that kind of stuff. YouTube can't do that. We need the Bible. We need God's word. We need books like James to find out how to do that. So to me, that sounds like pretty good info to have. So let's get into this. Uh, James 1 verse 2 says this, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, first of all, I got to point this out. Uh, James says when, not if. James says when troubles of any kind come your way, not if troubles come your way. Again, this is not easy stuff to listen to. James is saying things are going to go wrong in your life. You are going to have uh, troubles in your life. You are going to have suffering. This is a guarantee from God's word. But James says when things do go wrong, when troubles do come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, this is kind of offensive a little bit if you think about it. Like when someone's going through a tough time, they, they, they probably don't want to be told, hey, 
Just consider an opportunity for great joy, brother. You know, someone's sitting outside of a hospital room with a loved one who's dying, and, and I'm pretty sure they don't want you to come up to them and tap them on the shoulder and be like, hey, just consider an opportunity for great joy right now, you know? But remember, James is rough. He's rough around the edges. He's not an easy uh, person to listen to. He's a straight talker. James is like cocoa melon. He's tough to listen to, but it's worth it if you can get over his blunt honesty and listen to what he has to say. James doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't care about fluff. He cares about truth. James is more concerned about your spiritual growth than your feelings. And so there's no, when troubles of any kind come your way, I'm so sorry. I hate this for you. Like I said, James gets straight to the point. He is saying, here is what real Christians do when things go wrong. He says, when you are served that have divorce paper, consider an opportunity for great joy. When your parents get divorced, kids, teenagers, consider it an opportunity for great joy. When you have family drama going on and crazy family members absolutely driving you insane, consider it an opportunity for great joy. When you get that diagnosis, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Or even worse, when your spouse or when your kids get that diagnosis, consider it an opportunity for great joy. When you check the bank account and you're like, man, I don't even know how I'm going to pay my water bill this month, consider it an opportunity for great joy. When you have that miscarriage, you lose your baby, consider it an opportunity for great joy. James is rough, isn't he? James is like, when things go wrong, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now listen, having joy in those kind of situations is not going to come naturally. That's not what James is saying. And don't feel like you're less of a Christian if you're like, why can't, why, why can't I have joy when things are going wrong? That's not what James is saying. Joy in suffering does not come naturally when things go uh, wrong. What's going to come naturally is depression and anxiety and fear and heartbreak and anger and frustration and doubt. Joy is not on that list. Joy is not going to come naturally because, y'all, joy is a choice. Joy is a choice. So here's the first thing James says to do when things go wrong. When things go wrong, choose to have joy. When things go wrong, choose to have joy. When things go wrong, it is your choice. Are you going to have joy in this trial or not? And maybe you're thinking, well, Brandon, what is there to have joy about when, when, when things like that happen? Where, where's the joy in a miscarriage? Maybe you're thinking, uh, maybe you're in the thick of, of suffering right now. Maybe you're going through a really tough time right now. And you're like, what in the world is there to have joy about in this mess that I'm in right now? James knew you'd ask that question. And listen to what he says in verse 3. For you know, because you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So here's why you should choose joy in the hard times. Here's why every real Christian should choose to have joy in the suffering, because hard times will make you stronger. Hard suffering will make you better. God will use suffering to strengthen your faith and to strengthen your relationship with Jesus and to strengthen your calling and to prepare you for what he's going to call you to do in the future. God will use the hard times to mature you and to make you more effective for the kingdom of God than you ever thought possible so that you can be used in bigger and better and mightier ways than you ever dreamed and so that your life can have more purpose and meaning and fulfillment and joy than you ever dreamed that it would have. See, I don't know about y'all, but I don't, I don't like being a baby follower of Jesus. You know, uh, I, I don't like being weak and ineffective at anything I do, especially when it comes to following Jesus. I don't like being immature in my faith, uh, always going back and forth, easily swayed, never committed. I don't like being controlled by my circumstances or my surroundings. I don't like being controlled by my sinful flesh, constantly struggling with living in sin, never sure about my salvation. I don't like being a weak follower of Jesus. I don't know about y'all, but I want to be mature and developed and strong in my faith in Jesus. 
I want to be used by God. I want my life to have meaning. I want to be perfect and complete, like James says. Another way to put that is, I want to be like Jesus. And I think if I ask y'all right now, does anybody in this room want to be like Jesus? I think most of y'all be like, yeah, I want to be like Jesus. Woohoo, that sounds great. But, but what if I ask, well, who wants suffering in their life? Who wants, who wants troubles in your life? I think most of us would be like, eh, no, we're good, on the, we're good on the troubles. We're good on the suffering. We just want to be like Jesus. But y'all, the problem with that is the main thing that God uses to make us more like Jesus, to make us stronger, to give us more endurance in our faith is suffering. Now, listen to me, y'all. God didn't just make you. He's still making you. He's still making me. God is still building you into the man or woman that he wants you to be. And he uses hard times that we go through in this broken, sinful world to do that. Every hard day is another brick that God is using to build you up into who he wants you to be. I believe that God uses troubles and pain and tragedy that we face in life to make us stronger and to bring us closer to him and to give our lives more meaning, not less. The strongest followers of Jesus, I know y'all, the people with the most joy, the most fulfillment, contentment, meaning in their lives are the people who have been through the hardest things. Uh, But they made the choice to have joy in the middle of those things that they went through. And they let God use them to make them stronger. I think about my grandma. I couldn't, I couldn't uh, write this message without telling y'all about my grandma. Uh, that, this woman has been through uh, some serious junk, junk in her life. And she had a, uh, a baby sister who was born with severe special needs who actually died as a, as a teenager. She had a brother with uh, serious mental illness who uh, killed his own wife and then took his own life. Uh, she had another sister who she was really close to, another little sister who she was close to who died of cancer. She just recently lost her big sister who was like her best friend that she, uh, a few years ago. On top of that, she's been through so many uh, heartbreaking situations with her own children, with her own grandchildren. In fact, she just recently lost her oldest grandchild a couple years ago uh, to COVID. She has one of the toughest lives of anyone that I have ever met. And I'm sure there were times when she was like, God, why? You know, and question God. And by the way, that's not a sin to do that. I'm sure there were times when she did that. But man, I have never seen my grandma's faith waver once. Never once. She has chosen joy and the suffering because she knew that God would use the suffering to make her stronger. And he did. She is the strongest follower of Jesus I have ever met and I ever will meet probably. God listens to that woman's prayers. When I need prayer for something, I text my mom and I'm like, hey, can you ask granny to pray for this? And if I know granny's praying, I know I'm good. I know we're good. I'm serious, like in the, in the day that, that God calls my grandma to her real home in heaven, there's gonna be a lot of things and a lot of people and a lot of situations that are gonna absolutely fall apart in my family because they're only being held up by the power of my grandma's prayers because she's that strong, because she's that strong of a follower of Jesus. And she is that strong because of the hard times that she went through. She was formed, she was forged into the woman of God that she is today by her suffering. And she chose to have joy in the middle of it. That's what James is saying. So you get the bad news, you get the cancer diagnosis, you get the phone call that says so-and-so is in a car accident and they didn't make it. And you're like, oh, okay, this is going to hurt. This is going to be tough. This breaks my heart, but I'm going to choose to have joy right now because I cannot wait to see how God is going to use this in my life. 
I cannot wait to see how God is going to use this in the lives of those around me. I cannot wait to see the new places God is going to take me to because of this. I cannot wait to see how God absolutely transforms me into a stronger follower of Jesus because of this. So let's go. Let's do this, baby. I'm going to choose to have joy. The person who doesn't follow Jesus can't say that, y'all. To them, a hard time is just a hard time. Suffering is just suffering. But to those of us who really know Jesus and who love Jesus and who follow Jesus, we have a reason to choose joy even in the worst of times. So choose joy. Don't choose moping. Don't choose complaining. Choose joy when you face troubles uh, of any kind, for you know that God will use the hard times to make you stronger. That's the first thing we do when, uh, when things go wrong, James says. But he's got more advice. Let's keep reading James 1, 5 through 8. James says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. So the first thing that we can learn from this little part of the passage today is this, I think. Um, don't walk away from God when things go wrong. Don't walk away from God when things go wrong. I think, first of all, what James is doing in this little part of the passage is reminding us that, hey, God is still good. God is still there. James is reminding this group of people who are experiencing the hardest times in their life that God is still with them. He is still good, and he is still there. Uh, if I could just be kind of transparent with y'all, a couple of years ago, I was just going through one of those rough seasons where, you know, everything is getting to you, you know, and uh, everything's bringing you down. And I remember I was in, in this worship service on the front row, and Brooke and the band were introducing a new song called Goodness of God. Uh, and, and in the song, it's constantly like, goodness of God, goodness of God, your goodness is running after me. I've seen the goodness of God. And, and that day, I just didn't feel like singing that. And I was kind of closing my mouth and just, mm -hmm. I really didn't feel like singing about God's goodness because I didn't feel it. And I was so bummed. But the more they sang it, you know, and the more they sang, goodness of God, your goodness is running after, running after me. That's just reminded me, wait, God is still good despite what I'm going through. He's still good. He is still there. He is still God, and he still loves me. So whatever you're going through, uh, you need to know that God is still good. I promise you. He, and he's still with you. He hasn't left you. So listen, don't leave him. Don't leave him. Don't distance yourself from him because that's the temptation, right? The temptation when things go wrong in life is to think, man, I'm going through this tough time right now so I can walk away from God. This time that I'm going through is an exception for me to not give God my best, for me to let my relationship with Jesus suffer, for me to let my Bible reading suffer, for me to let my prayer life suffer, for me to let my purity suffer, whatever. Things are going wrong in my life right now, so this is an exception to my walk with Jesus. I can create distance between me and him right now. I don't have to give God my best right now. That is a temptation that we all face when things go wrong. And James is saying, no, 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 don't run from God. Don't create distance between you and God. Close the gap, lean into God, give God your best. There's never an exception to not give God your best. Uh, we just came out of a marriage series where Pastor Josh and, pa uh, and Brooke were just given great marriage advice. They've been married uh, a lot longer than me. Um, but I've been married about uh, nine years, and so I have a little bit of advice I can give. <clears throat> and I've got a little piece of advice I want to give to the to the young husbands or to the guys in here who are about to get married or thinking about getting married. Uh, so there is going to come a day, guys, where uh, your wife's going to test you. And she's going to, it's going to be a gift giving holiday or something that's coming up, you know, Valentine's Day, birthday, anniversary or something. And your wife is going to say, hey, listen, sweetie, don't worry about gifts this year. Let's just not do gifts. It's okay. 
not this year. And uh, this recently happened to me on a recent anniversary. I won't tell you how recent, but it's pretty recent. And uh, and uh, and she, uh, my wife, what we did was we got this Airbnb on the water back home in Georgia, real nice Airbnb. And she was just like, hey, you know, we don't need to get gifts this year. You know, we got this nice Airbnb. Let's just enjoy each other this anniversary, blah, blah, blah. And 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 I'm like, Awesome. That sounds great. I hate getting gifts. That, that's awesome. And uh, and then the anniversary rolls around, and the anniversary morning, she comes walking in the bedroom, and sure enough, she pulls out, first of all, she pulls out this card, and it's this beautiful card with this long, basically love poem about how much she loves me. I think she's over the top. And uh, and then then she got me these gift cards to my favorite places, and then uh, she got us breakfast, and I'm like, what are you doing? I thought we weren't giving each other gifts. She's panicking. She's like, yeah, I know, but I love you so much. I just figured I'd give you a gift anyway. So I know you probably felt the same way. So where's, where's my gift? I don't have one. I'll still hear about that to this day. That's right. And now I know, now I know there's never an exception to giving your wife the best gift you can give her on a gift giving day of the year. And y'all in the same way, there's never an exception to giving God your best. Never ever, 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 no matter what's happening in your life. He is always there for you no matter what happens in your life. You have the God of the universe on standby for you. Lean into him no matter what. The hard times are the times when we should lean into God more than ever. Read our Bibles more than ever. Pray more than ever. And James even tells us what to pray for when things go wrong. He says the most important thing you can pray for when you're going through a tough time is wisdom. Let's pull verse five back up again, please. James says, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. James says, when things go wrong, pray for wisdom. When things go wrong, pray for wisdom. Did you know that wisdom is one of the few things in the entire Bible that God guarantees you, guarantees it? The the Bible says God will. We just read God will give you wisdom. Now, you have to believe it. You have to have complete faith that he will give it to you. But if you do believe it and you do ask him, God will give you wisdom. Now, he doesn't guarantee healing. He doesn't guarantee relief. He doesn't guarantee miracles, no matter how much faith that you have. Because if God solved all your problems with miracles, you'd never grow. But God does guarantee to give you wisdom in the suffering, in the trial, in the hard time. James just said, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. We are guaranteed trials in this life. We are guaranteed that things will go wrong in this life, but that's okay because we're also guaranteed wisdom in the middle of those trials. God, my son is is hooked on drugs. My daughter is an alcoholic. What do I do? Give me wisdom on how to talk to them. Give me wisdom on what steps I should take and how involved I need to be and whatever. God, I'm really sick. Give me wisdom on how to handle this situation and how to break news and blah, blah, blah. Teach me, God. Teach teach me whatever it is you want me to know in this trial. Show me how you're going to use this suffering I'm going through. Show me how you're going to use this trial for, for good, for your glory. Show me how I can choose joy. God doesn't guarantee relief, but he guarantees wisdom. He guarantees wisdom in the hard times. When things go wrong, pray for wisdom. Lean into God, pray like crazy, and make sure you're praying for wisdom. And then listen for wisdom. 
Listen for wisdom. Open your ears. Open your eyes. Open your heart. Open your schedule, right? Read his word, first of all. He will illuminate things in his word that will give you wisdom. Uh, Be in prayer, of course. He will speak wisdom to you through prayer. Be open to spiritual things. Listen to good sermons, good sermon podcasts. Listen to good worship music. Listen out for that wisdom in any good spiritual outlets you can find. Uh, Because if you ask God for wisdom and faith, that wisdom is coming and it will really help you in the hard times. Um, and, but you got to be open for it. Also, uh, uh, God gives wisdom through other people. He gives wisdom through his people. Uh, so find reliable people and go to them for wisdom. Go to them for advice when you're going through something hard. And by reliable, I mean people who love Jesus and who love you. they got to meet both of those qualifications. But Brandon, I don't know where to find people like that. If you're thinking that right now, I guarantee you're not plugged into your church the way that you should be. Get plugged into your church. Surround yourself with people who love you and who love Jesus, and God will speak wisdom to you through those people. Because if you're going through a hard time and you're going through suffering and you pray for wisdom on how to handle it, one of the main ways that God will deliver that wisdom is through his people. So when things go wrong, pray for wisdom and then listen out for it. Let's keep reading. James 1, 9 through 11. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls, and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. Now, first, uh, to me at least, this seems kind of random. You know, like James is talking about being poor and being rich in the middle of a passage about hard times and, and suffering. But I don't think this is uh, random. When I, when I really start to think about it, I realize, okay, this, there's, a, there's a reason he's saying this. Here's what I think James is saying. First of all, I think he's saying, poor people, poor people, you're going to go through tough times. Things are going to go wrong for you. You're poor, and that's not easy. That is a trial. I mean, let's be honest, being poor is not easy. But even if you are poor in this world, choose joy. Choose joy anyway. The reality is, though, no one in this room is probably actually poor, right? Now, you may be, you may be a little poor by America's standards, but definitely not by the world's standards. I mean, if you have a working refrigerator in your house right now, you're in like the top 20% most wealthy people on planet Earth, okay? So nobody in this room is probably actually poor poor. Most of us in here are rich when it comes to the world standards. So James is like, things when things go wrong for poor people and things go wrong for rich people. And then he starts talking about rich people. And hey, rich people, uh, this is you, okay? This is us, all right? Things are still going to go wrong for you too. They're going to go wrong for us. Things are going to go wrong in your life. God can bring you down despite your wealth, but boast in that, be glad in that, count it all joy anyway. And the idea here is that our identities, our joy, uh, our purpose is, is not found in what we have or what we don't have. Our joy and our identity comes from Jesus and what he's done for us alone. And that's true. I mean, listen, if, if all God ever did for you <clears throat> was send his son Jesus to die for your sins, to get you out of the punishment that you deserve for your sins, that's way more than you or I could ever possibly deserve, no matter what we have or no matter what we don't have. So James is, is saying that, but also here's what else I think James is saying here. I think he's saying this, when things go wrong, don't rely on money or material things. Because that's another temptation that we face when things go wrong, right? The temptation to rely on anything other than God to get us through the hard times, to give us relief in the hard times. Like I said, all of us in this room are rich in the world's standards. And James says, all your wealth, all of your achievements are going to fade away. The stuff you have can't get you through the hard times that you're going through. So for example, Amazon cannot get you through your depression. A a, a new truck can't get you through the problems that you're having. I mean, come on, we know this. We know this up here. What happens when we rely on stuff to get us through a tough time? What happens when we rely on temporary happiness that, 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 that stuff brings to get us through a hard time? We're always disappointed. We're always disappointed because it doesn't work. 
doesn't work. The happiness never lasts. Most of the time, by even the next week, the truck is already starting to lose that excitement that it gave us a week ago. And once we get what we wanted from Amazon, it's all right now, but it's not new anymore, right? And we need to order something else from Amazon to make us happy and to fill that need. And then on top of that, um, stuff not actually helping the problem, what happens? The credit card bills come, you know, the truck payment comes and it's like, uh, you know, and you just want more stuff to make you feel better and more money to get you more stuff to make you feel better. And the bills get bigger and the debt gets bigger and the problems just pile up in your life. It's a trap, y'all. So don't rely on stuff to get you through hard times. It will not work. It just, it won't work. You can try it, but James is like, it won't work. It's all going to fade away anyway. So don't fall for that trap. There's only one thing that won't fade away. And that's Jesus, y'all, to rely on him. All right, well, we're almost done. We're almost done. And, 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 and we just have one more piece of advice that Jesus gives us on what to do when things go. Uh, I'm sorry, that James gives us. I don't know if I said Jesus. When James, James and Jesus sound too similar, so I'll probably mix those up a bunch. But there's one more piece of advice that James gives us on what to do when things go wrong. And, and this is the most important piece of advice to remember when things go wrong in, in our lives. This is the most important thing you can do when things go wrong. Uh, let's read the last verse in our passage, verse 12. God blesses those who patiently endure or testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Here's the last thing James says that real Christians do when things go wrong. When things go wrong, remember your hope. When things go wrong, remember your hope. If you are in here and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have a hope that when you die, you are going to heaven, y'all. And things will not go wrong in heaven. There is no suffering in heaven. When things go wrong, remember heaven. That's the crown of life that James is talking about here. He's talking about, uh, he's referencing a prize uh, that an athlete gets at the end of a big race. And he's using that to symbolize a prize that we get at the end of our race. That's heaven. He's talking about heaven. He's talking about what you have in store for your future, Christian. And this, this is your hope. So remember it. And listen to what Hebrews says about our hope. Uh, Hebrews 6, 19, this hope is a strong and trustworthy, listen to this, anchor for our souls. And every time I, th- I, I think about that verse, I think about this, this story from when I was a kid. Uh, when my dad took me fishing once and uh, how, how he would take me fishing was when I was a little kid, he would put me in the boat and he would back the boat into the river, and uh, and then he would tie the boat to a tree, and then he'd pull the truck out, pull the trailer out, go park the truck, and lean into the truck and get all the you know uh, tackle and everything together. But I'm sitting in the boat <clears throat> this one particular time. Uh, little Brandon's sitting in the boat waiting on his dad, and 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 little Brandon starts to notice that the rope that my dad tied to the tree is starting to come unraveled a little bit. And so I'm like, Hey, hey, dad, and he's just like, Hold on, I'm busy. Okay. That's fine. So I just sit in the boat, wait a little longer. And then I notice that the rope has now fallen into the water. And I'm like, uh, hey, hey, dad. And he's just like, hold on, I'm busy. Okay. So I uh, sit in the boat and waiting a little longer. And the boat starts to drift away from the shore a little bit. And I'm like, uh, dad. And he's just like, hold on, I'm busy. And I'm like, okay, all right, it's fine. So I sit in the boat <clears throat> and I just l- let myself drift uh, further and further away from shore. And by the time my dad comes out of the truck and looks and sees me, I'm pretty far from the shore. Um, and he's like wailing his hands in the air. I'm like, why is mad? I try to get your attention and blah, blah, blah. But uh, then he said, <clears throat> what I now know was paddle back to shore. There was a paddle in the boat the whole time. It wasn't the brightest crown in, in the box back then. Um, but uh, I'm in the, I'm like, oh, 
Well, it sounded a lot like, from that distance, it sounded a lot like he said, throw the paddle overboard. And so I'm like, this is weird. Seems stupid. But I trust my dad. He's probably been in this situation before. So I took the paddle and ran out the boat. And he starts screaming and saying words I can't say in church. And I'm like, I don't know why you're so mad. I did exactly what you told me to do. And uh, anyway, I started, I drifted further and further. I got to a place where I just, I couldn't even, uh, there's no way I could understand what he was saying or whatever and barely could see him. And I was like, okay, at this point, I know I've got two choices. I can either live my life out at sea. You know, I've got a cooler of, uh, of Cheez-Its and Coke in the cooler, I'm, I'm good. Uh, or uh, I can abandon ship. You know, I can jump the boat and swim back to shore. I chose option B. I jumped out the boat, abandoned my dad's expensive boat in the water and uh, swam as fast as I could back to shore. When I got back to shore, he was furious. He had to go find another person's boat, to go down the river, track down his boat. It was bad. Um, <clears throat> but do you know what would have solved all that? An anchor. An anchor. If I'd have just had an anchor, I'd have never drifted away from my father to begin with. I don't know if you know this, y'all, but if you're if you're a follower of Jesus, you have something amazing, something so amazing that your brain can't even begin to comprehend it and store for you in your future. And we're supposed to use that hope like an anchor to keep us from drifting away from our father when the ropes start to come unraveled in our lives and things start to go wrong. And and, and the hope really just starts with salvation. And it starts with heaven. Like heaven is just the beginning of that hope. See, when we talk about heaven in the church in this age right now, what we're talking about is where your soul goes when your body dies. See, we're not just a body. Uh, we are a soul in a body. The thing that's talking to you right now is, is not my body. Brandon is not what you see. I am not my body. I am a soul. And my soul is eternal. Uh, and even though my body will die, my soul will never die. Uh, and, and the Bible teaches us that when we are absent from our body, our souls are present with Jesus. Uh, like uh, the thief on the cross. I think of the thief on the cross. If I remember that, that story where Jesus is dying next to the thief on the cross, what does Jesus say when the thief puts his faith in Jesus? He says, today you will be with me in paradise. Like That sounds pretty awesome. So when we talk about heaven today, in this day and age, we're talking about our souls being with Jesus. The soul of every follower of Jesus that you know that is died is, is with Jesus. And again, I don't know what that's like, but it's got to be pretty awesome. And then listen, um, uh, that's not where we're going to stay. That's not the end. That's not the end of our hope. Uh, y'all, Jesus Christ is going to come back physically to this earth one day. It could be two minutes from now. It could be 2,000 years from now. But when he does, he's bringing the souls of the Christians who have died back with him. Let me prove it to you. 1 Thessalonians 4.14, For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. And Jesus, when he comes back, what he's going to do is he's going to raise up our dead bodies that are either in the grave or in ashes or whatever, and he's going to transform those old dead bodies into new, perfect, eternal bodies. Uh, listen to Philippians 3, 20 through 21. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. You are going to spend forever in a new, perfect body that never dies, y'all. You're not going to be some ghost flying around for eternity. You're going to have a real physical body like the one you have now, but it's going to be perfect. It's never going to get tired. It's never going to get injury uh, injured. Uh, it's never going to break. It's never going to get sick. It's never going to get sore. And I'm hoping for those six-pack abs I've always wanted. And for those of you that, that have six-pack abs and you can just eat whatever you want, I hope God gives you a body like mine when he comes back. 
because he's a just God, y'all. <laughs> uh, I've got a uh, I've got a son who uh, has cerebral palsy, so he can't walk, he can't talk. He's got a couple other conditions. He's deaf and uh, can't hear, and so uh, his body is far, far, far from perfect, very broken. Um, but I have this hope that one day. Jesus Christ is going to come back and he's going to transform my son's body into a new perfect body, an eternal body where he's going to be talking and running around. I'm going to be playing with him forever, forever. And then when I start to get, you know, when I start to feel sorry for myself and sorry for him, I remember that hope and it anchors me from drifting away from my father. So you get a new perfect body, but that's not all. When Jesus comes back, he's going to destroy this earth. And he's going to make a brand new perfect earth for us to live on forever with our new brand new perfect body. 2 Peter 3, 11 through 13. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives should um, holy and godly lives you should live? Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. Eternity for a Christian, y'all, is spent in a very physical body that you're used to, but perfect. And eternity for a Christian is spent in a very physical earth but that you're used to, but it's perfect. And listen to this. Revelation 21, 1 through 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death and no more sorrow no more crying, no more pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I love this. I am making everything new. And he said to me, write this down. What I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I'm the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit these blessings and I will be their God and they will be my children. That's your hope, Christian. That's your hope. When things go wrong, and they will, when things go wrong, choose to have joy because you know that your suffering will make you stronger. Don't walk away from God. Lean into God. Pray to God for wisdom and then listen out for that wisdom. Don't rely on anything other than Jesus. Don't rely on money or material things to bring you through it. Rely on Jesus only. And then most importantly, when things go wrong, remember your hope. That's what James says to do when things go wrong. And I know that's not all easy to listen to, and it's definitely not easy to do, right? But it's so worth it. It's so worth it if you do. It will radically change the quality of your life, and it will radically change the trajectory of your life. Uh, let me pray for y'all. Father, thank you so much for uh, our hope. Oh my goodness. Uh, if all you ever did was just send your son Jesus to die for our sins and get us out of the punishment we deserve for sinning against the perfect almighty creator of the universe, if that's all you ever did, that's more than we could ever possibly deserve. But on top of that, God, you give us you give us a purpose in this life. You give us meaning in this life, fulfillment in this life. And even when things go wrong in this broken world uh, because of sin, you use that brokenness to make us stronger and to give us more purpose and fulfillment in life. You are way too good for us, God. And then on top of that, you give us a hope that one day we're not just going to be souls with you in paradise forever, which if that was it, that would be enough for me to be my hope. But on top of that, you say, no, no, I'm going to give you a new perfect body too. I'm going to let you live on a new perfect world forever. 
forever. It's going to be awesome, you and me forever. God, thank you for how good you are to us. And when things go wrong in our life, help us to remember that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.